So last week, uh, we're, we're in Mission 119, and we started in January 2017. It's about a two-year process, so we're finishing up in November, reading through the entire Bible. And this week, we are right in the middle of Job. So if you are interested in, in the idea of, you know, why do bad things happen uh, to, to good people, that kind of problem of pain, this is an interesting book to look at. And Pastor Soper, on the app that we use, which you can read about in your news sheet, um, brings some illumination to those passages. But last week we were in 1 John, and we talked about an amazing statement that John makes about our faith. In a world where so many things are unsure, and so many things seem very senseless, and there's really so many things we, we can't really know with definity, John makes this statement in 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's talking about assurance. That every believer can know that they have eternal life with God and that they have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And in a world where so many things are unknown, it's a great comfort. And he, he, we talked last week um, about the three tests that John puts forth in this book to help us to see if we are in the faith. And, uh, well, you know, the, I guess the flip side of this is the great thing about these tests is you can see if you're in the faith, but if you're not in the faith and you think you're in the faith, they help you to see your need and maybe some areas where you need to do some more exploration. So the first test was the truth test. First John 2.22, he says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Fundamentally, just like in a marriage, you have to say, I believe this very fundamental thing, that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he is the savior of the world. And that is how you begin your relationship with, with, with God through Jesus Christ. This is, this is the litmus test. And if you don't believe that Jesus is God, well, you, you might not be a Christian. <laughs> I mean, his name is in the title, Christian, you know, little Christ. So it's a very important test. It's okay to not be sure of that too. It's something to look into. It's something to explore. And if you don't know that Jesus is, is the Son of God, God in the flesh, um, this is an exploration that you can be on with God, um, seeking answers to that question. And the Gospel of John is a great place to look for that. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh, the Messiah, our Savior, you know, this is the truth test of Christianity. The next test that John gives us is the moral test or the obedience test. In 1 John 2.3, he says, we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Are we seeking out what Jesus is telling us in the scriptures, and are we seeking to put those things into practice and obey him? Is that a part of our life? Is that something that's in our heart? If we have no desire to know the will of God and no desire to really obey Jesus, but just to kind of get by with our heads down, maybe we're not in the faith. But if you have a desire even though you don't do it perfectly because no one does, to understand what Jesus is telling us and to obey him, you can know for certain that you are in the faith. The final test, which seems very subjective, but he makes very objective, is the love test. 1 John 2, 7-11. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yeah, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing to make them stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. The love test is, do we have love in our hearts? And the way we know that is, do we hold hatred and bitterness towards a brother or sister? A a fellow person created in the image of God, do we hate that person? Jesus says if we have hatred and we walk in hatred and bitterness against other people, it's evidence that we don't have the love of God. We failed this love test. And we are following, it, it seems very insurmountable. There's many people that are flashing in your mind right now, people you've struggled with in your life, to love them. And I wish I could tell you that uh, it was, you know, there was, there was a break for you and for me. But the fact is we follow the Savior, Jesus Christ, as he was dying on the cross, forgave the people who were crucifying him. And uh, he demonstrated in his life. He didn't just tell us to love and didn't tell us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He did it. He embodied it. And he calls us to do the same. So do, do we believe the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior? Do we have a desire to know what he teaches and to follow him and obey him? And do we have love in our hearts? These are the three tests and if you can say that, yeah, I, I'm in process, I do it imperfectly, I, don't, I stumble and I fall, but I walk trying to, trying to walk in these things, you can know for sure that you're in the faith. And perhaps if, if that, some of that doesn't seem uh, like it exemplifies who you are, maybe God is calling to you and saying, you know, think about this, pray about this. We, this past week we just finished the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. So this is a complicated book that many godly people have varying uh, interpretations of. It is a book that draws heavily on a lot of the Old Testament imagery that we read in the prophets. And it's a book written to a church that is in a deep place of persecution and suffering. People are dying for their faith in this context. And there's, there's these churches scattered around uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Jesus himself... Uh, reveals to, to John on the island of Patmos. John is exiled to an island for teaching Christianity. He's being persecuted. He's on this island. Jesus gives him a vision and reveals to John some feedback for these seven churches in Turkey. And it's really interesting to see, as you look at all of these things as a whole, you can see some things that, that God is looking for in his churches as things that are, are great things that he wants to see cultivated. You can also see some encouragements and some, some discouragements from certain behaviors and things. And really, if you don't read all seven letters as a whole, it's two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 2 and 3, you kind of miss that big picture, zoom out vision of what God is saying. So this morning, what I'd like to do is talk about some themes and things that I learned as I went through these letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Some overall things that just got repeated again and again and again, which teach us about what God is looking for and some of the things to look out for. Because even though we're separated by culture, by time, and, and, by, and by geography uh, fr- from this place, there are consistent themes that really do apply to us uh, in the church. And then finally, as we 
get to the final letter, the church of Laodicea, I'm going to park on that for us for a little while. Because I see, as many people see, that this is one that really does apply to us in the United States very easily and something where it shows some pitfalls for us and where we need to watch out so that we can know that we are in the faith and truly following Jesus. I love how specific Jesus' feedback to these churches was. It wasn't this subjective, like, oh, you know, wishy-washy. It was, here. here's some great things, like a good coach. Here's some things to look out for. Here's some things you can be sure that you're doing well. Here's some things that are, are going to destroy you if you don't look at these things. If you keep doing the same kind of motion as an athlete that's not a healthy motion, you can really hurt your body long term. Jesus has the wisdom to cut through the, the junk and the confusion to say, to point out. And so along, I just felt, with, along with John and what God revealed to him in 1 John, those three tests, you can see just a little bit more of those tests fleshed out in these letters to the churches. The truth test, do you believe and affirm that Jesus is God? The moral test, do you seek to obey what he says? And the love test, do you, do you love are you loving the way that you should in the midst of persecution and great distress? So here's some things I learned from Revelation. Something that God said over and over again to these seven churches. Now I'll read uh, Revelation 2.2. 2. He said, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Something amazing about God. That God knows and sees our work as a church and our work as individuals. God sees everything. And everything that we do as a church and as individual followers of Christ, it matters to God. Something amazing about God that we can't comprehend, something that blows our minds, is the fact that God is in charge of the big picture. He has power and he sustains the universe by the word of his power and the planets spin and the galaxies twirl and, and, and the eternal cosmos just telescopes out by God's great power and God's governing of all these forces. So though God is, this, this is in charge of all the big stuff, he's equally focused like a laser beam on each individual life, on each individual church. And the work that we do, or the work we don't do, how we persevere, it matters to God. He sees it in our own lives and in our church at large. And that's an amazing comfort. To some of you who feel like I've been doing the right things by a sheer act of will that I know God wants me to do, and I feel really discouraged because I don't feel like anyone sees them, and sometimes I even lose sight of how I'm doing. Know this, that God sees your work. God sees your work. Every work that you do, your deeds. He says this to all of the churches. He sees everything. He sees how hard we work. And our hidden works are not wasted. In fact, in my experience in ministry, the hidden ministry that you do, that no one sees, is the most blessed ministry. The way you minister to other people, the way you provide for other people's needs, the way you help those who are suffering and lift up the poor and the downtrodden, the way you offer a word of comfort and a word of encouragement to a person that's got nothing but discouragement and discomfort from the people around them. That little thing you do, it's a precious work in the sight of God. Um, I think that in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about this, that when you pray, 
Do these things to God. When you fast, do it unto God. When you give, give to God. Do it secretly so that your honor may come from God, not men. And know this from Revelation. In, every, in pretty much every instance, he says, I see your works. They don't elude God's notice. And God is counting them and treasuring them in his heart like a parent treasures their child's works and puts them on the refrigerator. And if you are following God and serving him, even in ways that are just undercover, God sees you. And you can be encouraged knowing that even if no one else sees you, God sees you and God will reward you somehow. I don't know how, but he knows everything. He owns everything. He knows every need that we have. He's going to come alongside us because he sees our works. God especially, in, in Revelation, he notices when we are continuing to faithfully follow him when things get really tough. And this is especially evident in, in this book of Revelation. That as the church is being persecuted, as people are being killed, as they are being tempted away from their faith towards false uh, worship and false living, and they, and then, but they stick with, Jesus, with God, with Jesus, he notices that and he treasures it while under extreme duress. And God sees that both in churches and in individuals. The next big thing uh, that I noticed is from Revelation 2.14, and I alluded to this and, and talked about it a little bit. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, okay, in this one passage. You have people he, there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols. There's another place where he is giving a discouraging word to the church, and he says, though this is the case, I have noticed a few of you people did not do this. You know, God sees when people are not following the crowd and going towards him and away from immorality. He sees individuals who are falling away and those who are following him and he notices all of that stuff. And I just think that's such an amazing enunciation of that picture that God sees everything. Sometimes God has this interesting way uh, of seeing a lack of follow-through in our lives. There's this word in uh, Revelation 3 too, and it says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. That's a really interesting kind of word. There is a work that each of us do, and God notices when we don't follow through and complete it. And that's something that is very important to him. God wants to see the works that he's given us to do to be completed. And God is encouraging us to finish what we started, to persevere in what he started. One thing that's really cool that I learned from Revelation 2.19, God says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. What does this tell me about God? That God sees incremental changes we make in our lives. We are all about like doing a crash diet, a drastic lifestyle change, and it lasts for a little while, then it fades away. But God is a God that really appreciates and notices when people make very small changes in their life to honor him. Getting up an hour earlier, to meet with the Lord in the morning, praying with your spouse or a friend before you go to sleep at night, putting a little bit more of yourself out there in terms of your authentic relationship with Christ in front of the people you work with at your job, 
reaching out to people that are hurting intentionally and taking your time to do that. These small changes we make in our life, God notices. And I just love how he says, I noticed your service and perseverance. You did, you're now doing more than you were doing at first. That God sees even that microscopic changes we make to honor him in our lives. One of the big theme, themes uh, in Revelation is this belief that perseverance and faith in Jesus is a fundamental attribute that we have to have uh, in, in Christ. We talk a lot about growing in Christ, which we all need to do. But a primary challenge in our life of faith is to hold on to what we've already attained. Just to hold on. And sometimes in your life, it gets so difficult that really this is your assignment. You need to hold on to what you know about Jesus. This isn't the time to balloon yourself with information. This isn't the time to do these drastic gestures to try to keep your faith alive. Just to hold on, to go back and hold on to the things you had at first. I get this from Revelation 2, 25, where he encourages the church and Theatira, hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. To him who overcomes, hold on to what you have. There may be times when we do question our faith, when we struggle, when we have doubts or just traumatic life experiences that happen to us. And those are the times when we need to just hunker down and hold on to what we know. And if we will get through that storm, if we will get through that season of life, uh, just still believing in Jesus, still following him, God's going to lead us out the other end of that. We're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to lead us like a shepherd out of that place. And when you feel uncertainty, when you feel oppressed from all sides, and when you feel like you're losing your faith in Jesus, sometimes the word from God is just hold on to what you already have. Hold on. Because God is there in the darkness. Hold on to what you have. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, it says in Revelation 3.11, so that no one will take your crown. Hold on. I am coming soon. Hold on. I love this. To him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. So talk about an amazing thing. Hold on to what you have in the midst of persecution. I'm coming back, and if you will just hold on to me, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. An amazing truth from God's word. The next thing that I noticed from Revelation is that the ways that people end up leaving faith and struggling in faith and falling away from God are pretty much the same transculturally and over time. Like the things that lead people astray and lead people away from God are pretty much the same through cultures and times. Uh, one of the things that is written about through all of these letters is sexual immorality. This is just something that the Bible says if you dabble in, in sexual immorality and you fall away from what God teaches about how to keep yourself pure for him, this is something that will lead you astray. I mean, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he fell away through sexual immorality. And like he, he had all the wisdom of God. He had everything going for him. And he had this Achilles heel that made him fall away from God. And this is something that is absolutely true of every culture that's ever been. People get enticed and they fall away from God in this way. Another thing that causes people to leave the faith 
is accepting without question the culture around you and not filtering it at all through what God's will is for us. This is such an easy thing to do for us. Going with the flow, not thinking about how to honor God. Again, that goes back to the obedience test. Do we want to know and obey what God says? One of the, one of the great stumbling blocks that we'll look more into is this deception of wealth. We don't really feel a need for God because we have everything that we need. And we don't even know where we'd put him if we had more of Jesus in our lives. Because we're so full, we have everything we need. And this is a great deception. This is a way that people fall away. And that's why Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. It can really trip people up, uh, this idea of being so prosperous and having so much wealth, relatively speaking, that you don't even feel a need for God in your life. But the problem is that theologically you still really need him. That's the problem. That's what's so deceptive about wealth, that you literally need God desperately, but you can't feel it. You're not in touch with it until God reveals it. So sexual immorality, uh, acceptance of just the culture and what the culture thinks about everything without putting it through the filter of what God says, and the deception of wealth. Another thing that it talks about in Revelation is tolerating wickedness in our lives, just tolerating small things in our lives that just kind of, they end up taking over. And anyone who's ever known a person that struggles with addiction or really uh, bitterness, that's a big one. This is a small, unforgiveness is something that's a small thing that will take over your life. It will literally hijack your life and drag you away from God. So it causes your love to grow hold. It keeps you from wanting to obey God. The more bitterness that builds up because it feels more and more justified, and eventually it becomes a beast unto itself. These are all the things that God talks about to the church in Revela- churches in Revelation. And these are all things that we struggle with on a daily basis in our culture. So the final church that John writes to is the church of Laodicea. And this is the church, after that overview, that I want to kind of focus in on and just read the whole text and talk about uh, this church, because it's a church that really does characterize the world and culture in which we live, at least from my point of view. There's little pieces in each of these churches that certainly apply, but this is one that I think that really kind of nails where we are at in the United States in Saratoga Springs, a way that we need to look out and be careful. So he writes in Revelation 3.14, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, of the, either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That sounds serious. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He's saying, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Those people that I love, I say the hard things to. So be earnest. Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Laodicea was the, by, by far the wealthiest city that got a letter sent to them uh, from Jesus Christ through, through John. It had this huge banking uh, industry. It's big banks were in the city. It had an amazing textile production uh, companies. The economy was good. It had a prominent medical school. And also they had a famous eye salve that was like a healing salve that they had created that people came from all around to use to uh, bring healing to eye injuries. The city had all these amazing things, but the one thing that the city lacked was a useful water supply. There was a city nearby with hot springs, which had like a medicinal, a medicinal purpose and could be used medicinally. There's a city nearby with cold, refreshing water that could be used to, to build up people in terms of their, just their need for water, a fundamental need. But in Laodicea, it was tepid, lukewarm water. And it was kind of useless. And not only was the water unuseful to the people, it was not a big enough supply to water, provide water for all the people in the city. But these people had a lot of money. And so they were able to get water from other places that was useful. Meanwhile, their own supply was useless. So what is God saying to them? God is saying that though they have great banks, though they have great industry, great medical facilities, and generally just great wealth, that makes them feel like they don't need anything and they're able to get what they don't have from the outside, that in reality, their wealth is masking the truth of their situation. It's masking the truth that God says about them, that they have no water source. That if they didn't have money, they would die for lack of water. That's what would happen. And they would perish because if you don't have water, you die. <laughs> Simply. It, I forget how long it takes. It's not very long. But the most wealthy person, uh, with, with all the possessions and all of the resources, if they have not water, it's not going to take very long. And God sees their urgent need for Jesus. He says, you need Jesus, but you can't feel it. That's what he's saying. You can't feel it because you have all this wealth. But you need to believe me. You need to trust me, John says. You, need to, you know what? You need to trust me, says Jesus. Trust me. It's an illusion. What you feel is an illusion. And that will not save you. That will not sustain you. He doesn't say they're hopeless. He says, you think you're fine without Jesus, but you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Not hopeless. Not hopeless. And he counsels them. Jesus Christ counsels these people to buy from him gold refined in the fire so they can become rich and white clothes to wear so they can cover their shameful nakedness. What is gold refined in the fire except for the purity of life that comes about from following Jesus and deciding to obey him and allowing him to let the impurities of your life come to the surface so he can skim them off of your life and make you whole in Jesus. What are white clothes except for the white garments that Jesus provides to every person who realizes their need for a Savior? 
that no matter what a good person you are, fundamentally, you just need a bunch of help. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and we're justified freely by his grace and he wants to give us these, these white clothes so that we can just be reconciled to God. Gold refined in the fire, perseverance in trial, white clothes. And listen to this, and a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He, Jesus is messing with these people because they have this, this special salve that's known to heal people's eyes. And he's saying, well, that salve's not really going to help you see spiritually. But put on Christ and you'll begin to see things as they are for real. And then he says this amazing thing in verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. We think about punishment a lot. You do this thing, you get punished for this. You know, discipline is different from punishment. Discipline is when something is bearing fruit, something has great potential, and the one that disciplines is loving that thing by making it uh, even more fruitful by guiding it, by giving it some, some extra care and attention. It's what we do with kids. It's what we do with our children. We discipline them because we love them, because we want people to not dread them coming over for play dates. You know, like, you're that kid, right, that no one wants to have over because undisciplined, and you're just hitting people. And This is not my journal. Those God loves, like a, like a good parent, if, you ha- if, you, if, you're, if you're, per- you're here today, you had parents, you know the difference between good parenting and bad parenting to some degree, perhaps. But those whom God loves, the perfect parent, he rebukes and disciplines. He said, because I am for you in this way, be earnest and repent. Take what I'm saying to heart and realize your need for Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens this door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's such a difficult thing in a prosperous culture to realize your need for Jesus. But the Bible teaches and the Spirit confirms that we have a deep, deep need. And what does it take to come to, come to grips with that? It takes a revelation from the Holy Spirit. How else can you see what God sees and see the way he wants? If you have an earnest, if you don't see your need for Jesus or feel your need for Jesus, if you earnestly want to have more of him in your life, all you have to do is ask God to open your eyes and begin to let him take an inventory of your life. Let him begin refining you like, like, a, like a goldsmith. Uh, with that liquid gold just skimming the impurities off the top. Let him show you how much you need to be saved by someone that you can't save yourself. And let him put salve on your eyes so that you can see spiritually, see the truth, the truth of who he is, the truth of who you are, the truth about the world. Because God rebukes and disciplines those he loves. So you can be earnest. He's for you. It's an amazing thing. This, is, this church is not unlike our own city in Saratoga Springs. It's well known that Saratoga Springs has these natural springs that run underneath the city. And people used to come from all over the place, and they still do, to drink from this water because they believe it has healing properties to it. You know, much like uh, this, this, um, this city of Laodicea who had this eye salve, right? 
But what did Jesus say to them? He said, don't use the salve that you guys have that you bought at the Magic Moon in Saratoga. <laughs> don't use the eye salve you got from Fresh Market. You don't need the eye salve. You need my Holy Spirit. Put on Christ and, you'll, and your eyes will see well. And what would God say to us? This water of this city does not bring healing. But me, the living water, which wells up to everlasting life, I, I'm the real deal. You don't thirst for me because you don't know your need for me. Begin to seek me in earnest because I'm here. I'm so close, I'm standing at the door and I'm actually knocking. And if you hear me, open the door because those I love, I discipline in this way. So be earnest. Turn to me. This is the call of Jesus today for us. I'd like to invite the worship band to come forward. We're going to close with the song. As they come forward, I'd like to pray. This is a real problem for us. It's a real problem for those we share Christ with, that we are out of touch with how much we need Jesus. They are out of touch with how much they need Jesus because we have so much. But it is not impossible for even us to become following him closely. With men, this is possible. With God, all things are possible. Heavenly Father, I lift up myself, my church, and my community. And I pray that you would reveal to us our deep need for Jesus. Our deep need to wear the white robe that you provide. Our salvation through Christ, not by works. Our deep need to offer our lives to you. To the process of you purifying us and making us into that pure gold. Our deep need for the good shepherd to shepherd our souls and to guide us in paths of righteousness, to, to show us what the, tru the truth of who Jesus is, to show us the truth of what Jesus taught and give us the strength to obey and follow you. And the deepest truth of all, that the Father loves us. And he, we know that because he loves those that he disciplines. So I pray that we would have a revelation of the love of the Father for us, for our community, that we would fall to our knees and just receive from you everything you have for us, God, that we would find, we would make space for you as you refine the gold in our lives, that we would empty the suitcase of our soul, that you might fill us, that we might become little Christs, full of the Spirit, following in Jesus' way. And I lift up this church, God, that we would find you in the very affluent world that we live in. That we would seek you in earnest because you are for us. And lift all this up in Jesus' name.